Hello and welcome back to not only The Planet Optimist, but the last episode of this season of The Planet Optimist. We have graced your ears with our dulcet home counties tones for the last three months. However, we are taking a short break ahead of the festive season. David is indeed right. Uh, we'll be back date TBC in January. And once again, we want to thank each and every one of you that listen, engage with us, argue with us, uh, because debate is what fuels and ideas and underpins democracy. And whilst we may not be podcasting for a short while, our newsletter still does go out without fail every Monday. So don't forget to check that out. Link to our website in the bio. As those of you that follow us on Instagram will have seen, we've reached out this week with a view to field any questions that you may have. Uh, unfortunately, we only have time for a couple, so if you did send in a question that's not answered, we do apologise. But the first one here is from Jean-Paul Cinnamon. It says, what are your opinions on Just Stop Oil's protests? I feel like we've given a lot of air to this issue already. Um, Daniel, any additional notes on their recent activities and thoughts? I... <laughs> So I, I can't remember if the last time... Because I, I remember the, when we discussed them, it was through my my various travels throughout Islington, um, where I, I saw... Well, throughout London, really, because I saw their posters popping up um, Occupy Westminster. I think it was around October time, um, around sort of the... the um, was it the fuel cap sort of controversies that were sort of popping up around um, British politics at the time? And so I don't think they were, they had done their sort of splattering of you know, to, what was it tomato soup over um, I can't remember the painting I can't remember the painting that it was but they they did that and then they what was it? there was a car dealership that they um, targeted yeah, it was Jack as Barclay, well. Jack Barkley Bentley they covered in paint was it? and then they also covered um, was it the sunflowers by Van Gogh ah that was it which ironically yes. is an oil painting yeah. <laughs> Oh yes. Um, <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I still stand by. It's, I, it's not getting people on side, you know. And at the end of the day, you know, what Just Stop Oil believe in to an extent is very similar to what we believe in. Um, you know, they're not, in my opinion, and I'm sure i speak for yourself david um they're not as pragmatic as we are no i think I, there's I, a, there's a, a a gulf between the pragmatic and the idealistic and golf is a very interesting I, term but yes um <laughs> no there is and i think but it's a it's a continuum we're all uh, you know, at a point between being pragmatic and idealistic and you know i i, I sort of feel bad saying this because you know you know um Jean-Paul Cinnamon has has written in with a question, and I, f- I feel, <laughs> I feel, um, I feel like I'm just repeating what I said in, in the episode, where it's it's not getting us on side. It's it's not getting people on side. It's the same with um, with insulate. Was it insulate Britain who were super gluing themselves to the road and stuff? Was that? Was that so it's just such a funny name. <laughs> Jean-Paul Cinnamon. Sorry. <laughs> the thing is I, I i really appreciate it because you know having, having studied uh ppe as an, as an undergrad and you know very well i did my dissertation on existentialism so i read a lot of jean paul sartre um so it, oh, maybe it's, it's, it's a play just, on that right well i'm i'm not sure but it's um 
Jean-Paul Sartre, I, I love it. Um, <laughs> <is> it... <laughs> I wish I could be that imaginative. Um, no, but I, I, I just feel like I'm... I'm... <laughs> Sorry, it's really me. Sorry, this isn't very professional. <laughs> but no, uh, to be fair, what 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 do you think about it? Uh, I'm in two minds, and I'm quite conflicted about the whole thing. I yeah, the right to protest is an important right. I agree that it should be an immediate cessation to the issuing of of new oil drilling contracts. Is it getting the point across? Is it getting people talking about it? Well, it's definitely getting people talking about it. You know, yep. Is that inspiring people to change their behavior? I don't no. know, but the, the point being, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the point is that it's f- front and center of discourse, and that's their aim. So are they succeeding by you know, sort of sacrificing lots of I don't know, teenagers to criminal records? Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm ostensibly on their side. What I don't agree with, and I never agree with, is the disruption to normal working people's lives and the disruption to people trying to run a business or trying to get to a doctor's appointment. I don't think that's fair. It's very, very difficult to get that level of attention in a different method. It's not really an answer because I haven't really made my mind up, to be honest. Of course we want to stop oil. Um, Wean ourselves off of oil and, you know, towards more towards cleaner um, and better methods of creating and using energy. But is, we're not going to solve it overnight. Um, and I think the, these pressure groups sort of think that we can. It's like, okay, well, BP's just going to, or Shell or Exxon are just going to stop, you know, selling oil on the forecourts or drilling for oil. It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen just because some people threw some, tomato soup over a screen yeah that's not actually what they're saying there. it's not that they're saying that right, bp needs to close down their petrol stations tomorrow it's the fact that they don't undertake any new um new projects which right okay. is, I, it's, yeah. it's difficult to be the classical liberal and sit in the middle fundamentally because you're not really trying to placate two groups i'm not trying to placate the world of business and then at the same time placate just stop oil what you're actually trying to do is come up with a reasonable course of action, which is which is moderate. Um, and in today's climate, there's a significant and major lack of moderation. Um, mm. But I think I think we're fundamentally on on the same page. Um, but we've definitely focused far just too different much on methods. Just Stop Oil. I would quite like in the next series to have someone from Just Stop Oil come on. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. Yeah. If, if you're out there and you are a, an active member of Just Stop Oil, not just like me, who gets the email updates, um, please write in. We'd love to have you on. Absolutely. Um, okay, second question in from BFX2000. Uh, what is... <laughs> what? <clears throat> is it funnier than Jean-Paul Cinnamon's name? Uh, oh, not quite, but it's up there. Um, oh. what is what is the deal with cows and emissions great great question now I don't have any particular beef with cows in of themselves <sighs> that's worse Sorry. than one of mine that was bloody awful wasn't it, it um, was, yeah 
No, I I don't eat meat. I think I've already made this pretty clear, and I haven't done for two and a half years. Uh, no, it's coming up to three years now, I think. Uh, oh, Was true, it? yeah, yeah it's true. Think, yeah, yeah, 2020. Yeah. yeah, it's coming up to um to three years in the new year. And the first meat I gave up was beef. Beef, in, in themselves, you know, cows just, cows just live their lives. Mass farming of cattle contributes a huge amount of emissions. And unfortunately, and it is a little bit crude, it comes out either end. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the process... It's not the mechanical processes of slaughtering the meat and, and moving it around. There are obviously CO2 implications to the mass transport of huge amounts of what's actually quite a heavy substance. It's mm-hmm. the cows simply doing their thing and emitting methane. Mm-hmm. Um, now, globally, that contributes 14.5% of all anthropogenic GHG emissions. That's absolutely huge. I think worldwide vehicle transport something like 17 so wow really the take-home message is please stop eating beef or if you do want to eat beef and support local farmers go to your local i don't know in my case buckinghamshire farm and buy locally please don't buy it from you know mass cattle farm in argentina i did not know that it was that that's a massive percentage i would it is if, absolutely if you if you huge. had asked me to guess i would i would i would be in i would think one percent was big I think I would think it's that 1% mass, is yeah, a massive, massive. contribute. Yeah, but for, was it 14.5%, you said? Yeah, 14.5%. I don't have any issue with, with meat in of itself. This hmm. is the issue I have with meat. And until we wean ourselves off of mass consumption of meat, then, you know, I'm going to refuse to eat it. Well, I say refuse to eat it, refuse to buy it for myself. It's not like I'm, I get fed by someone else, do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, well, to be fair, though... By the time that probably happens, you probably wouldn't be able to eat meat anyway. By the time I can't feed myself, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, no, all... I, I'm, I'm more meant sort of from a, you know, your your body would have been used to not eating meat, so eating oh. meat would probably be a bit of a, a shock. Sorry, I thought you meant when I'm old and decrepit. No, I'll, I'll always be <laughs> here for you. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> Um, we also had we also had another question, David. Um, why would David buy a new car when a second-hand car is more environmentally friendly? That's an interesting question, and it's a really, really good question because ostensibly, yes, it makes sense to to buy second-hand. It, it it's it's twofold, really. Um, and by the way, to update the listeners and to update you i didn't buy the citroen amory i have bought a fiat 500e which actually is no. a fantastic little car I don't, I don't no I, I, I don't i was no i was, I, was <laughs> I don't i don't i don't like the 500 i don't i don't mate it's brilliant i don't know anything about cars i just know i i don't like the look of it it is a lot of fun. it's better it's better than that what was that horrible thing citroen you made search up yeah that was horrible at least it's not that. Well, no, no, it's not that. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a it's a good <laughs> car. It's got a decent range. It's all blacked out as as per with all my cars, so it's slightly conflicted narrative. So you you've got rid of the four by four. That's gone. Oh, oh wait, you've got your you've got your five hundred now. Yeah, I had oh. it. I got it about six weeks ago. I did not know. Did I know this? I, I think I just didn't get around to telling you. Oh, well, I mean, to be fair, cars isn't really the sort of thing that we talk about, is it? No, 100%. Yeah. No. So, um, but the, the point being, 
actually, since someone asked this question, not only did I buy a new car in January, I bought another one now. Um, it's twofold, really. So buying a new electric car means that there's no tailpipe emissions coming out the back. Uh, and there is this misapprehension, there's this misunderstanding of just how carbon intensive the manufacture of vehicles is. I think people think it's incredibly and wildly um, bad for the environment. The, the differential between producing an average petrol or diesel car and the average electric car is about three tons of CO2 in the manufacturer. I don't know, an average family car these days might produce 160 grams per kilometre of CO2 out the back. EV, obviously tailpipe, it's zero. In the UK, we have very good energy production methods, so it's very easy to make sure that the energy that's powering your electric car is uh, is green, it's from renewable sources. So very soon after the, the purchase of an electric car, that difference is already made up. And over the life of a car, which is, I don't know, let's say 200,000 or 250,000 miles, and I did this calculation the other day, the, or the average electric car save something like 42 tons of co2 over its lifetime but that is taking into account the difference between buying a new ev or a new ice car if you buy a second hand car let's say rather than buy my fiat 500 i bought a 15 year old ford fiesta that's going to have very poor co2 figures it was going to have poorer co2 figures when it was new that's going to have got even worse over the last 15 years and I did a, a, a quick calculation. Um, you only have to do about 12,000 miles for the, for the, uh, the difference to, to be made up there. So I think it's all very well throwing accusations out there, but do the maths, they're very, very simple. And the second part of the argument is the fact that if people don't buy new electric cars, there will be no stock of second-hand electric vehicles, which is absolutely crucial for mass adoption. The market in the UK for second-hand electric vehicle sales, quarter on quarter, has over the last year has been growing at over 100%. It's absolutely massive. And that's only because three or four years ago, the choice and breadth of electric vehicles out there grew and has been growing massively. Now, those first kind of gen of electric vehicles are coming up to, not really first gen, but, you know, sort of second wave of electric vehicles are coming up to the end of their leases. They're being sold off at auction and average people are now going out and buying them. You can't get that unless someone at some stage buys a new electric car. So it's, it's, it's a pretty daft question. That's actually a stronger growth than the uh, low and no alcohol trend currently. But... David, you could wow. say that you've been uh, driving the cause for um, electric vehicle adoption. Very punny. Thank you. <laughs> um, so that, thank you for uh, for sending those, those questions in. That's um, to be fair, it's something that we should we should do more more often on the on the podcast. I I, I quite enjoy sort yeah. of um, answering those things on the fly. You know, because um, you know, obviously we we research the the episodes beforehand but it's quite nice to um sort of get get our off the mind sort of thoughts on these things but um you know another thing that we spoke about on our last episode which seems like quite a while ago actually uh, i suppose about two weeks ago wasn't it um Hmm. was my my book recommendation it was which was actually recommended to me by my by my uncle um of uh deep work by cal newport how did you get on with that essentially my bible of how 
I plan my, my days and my philosophy to work. I'm, I'm sure I said this in the last episode as well. Do you know what? It's It's been really, really helpful. And you, you've mentioned it to me in the past, but you kind of re-recommended it to me just as I was about to start a new job. So the timing was absolutely perfect. I, I a bit like you could not recommend this book enough. It yep. has... I'm not exaggerating. It fundamentally changed my philosophy to work. I'm uh, a natural procrastinator, as I'm sure many people listening are out there. I'm forever, or was forever, (sighs) writing, you know, composing presentations, doing whatever, um, whilst having Bloomberg on in the background, (laughs) my phone three inches away from my computer, and... (sighs) There is an uh, awful lot. I don't want to spoil the contents of the book because I really recommend you go out there and either buy it or, or stream it on audio Audible. But um, it really has added a lot to uh, to not only to my work life but my my general life when I'm doing things in in my private life uh, and in my personal time. The idea of simply f- removing distraction, focusing on that one thing, really enhances your experience of of all sorts of different things you know like when i'm texting you okay mm-hmm. it's forever saying delivered quietly and for a while i was like why yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, didn't even know what it means. but actually it's because you're trying to avoid those distractions and you're actually concentrating and adding significant value to the things you, you're actually doing um, yeah so, and there's a there's a there's, yeah, a there's a hangover that they mention as well you know if you're flitting from from task to task attention residue tension residue yeah that's what they call it yeah yeah, so they they um, so it's not something that Cal Newport himself. Um, I don't think he comes up with it or term coins the term himself, but it, it's from a, a bunch of different studies. So I think um, the thing that you're mentioning is or referencing is the the task where people had to had to do a bunch of different tasks, and the people who were able to finish their task we're able to complete the next task far more efficiently or far more um far better than the people who were stopped midway through and had to jump onto the next task so you know it's the idea that you've got this this carry on you know if you haven't finished one thing your mind is still focused on that other task and so you're not dedicating your your full attention uh to to the current task at hand and you know picking up your phone looking you know even just looking at your notifications and you know for example if, if you text me about about something and you know I'm, tr- I'm trying to i don't know write a report for work or something i'm gonna i'm gonna be whether whether i realize it or not i'm gonna be thinking about that text that you sent me um and what i'm going to reply um so I, and i think i think honestly i think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways and i'm sure i said again <laughs> i'm sure i said this in the last episode but I, I I read this book. I try to read this book twice a year, so semi annually. Um, and I, every single time I come back to it, I think that's the thing that I take away from. That's that's the biggest thing that I take away from it. It's it's this attention residue. It's trying to block your distractions, focusing on a single task, but not just. I think the thing is, you it it shows you that you don't have to spend fifteen hours of a day working you can Mm. you can do a nine to five and easily get things done you just have to be efficient about it and i re i (laughs) i really recommend another book by cal newport 
um, digital minimalism. And I, I read this for the first time uh, this year. Um, and it's it, it really couples well with deep work. And I, I think it was published afterwards. Um, I can't remember, but you know, I, I see, I see it in my, I see it in my own, own relationships. Um, you know, with, with you, David, um, as well, you know, we, we're not texting constantly, but when we do text, it's, it's, it's very, it's very targeted. It's, it's very, um, to the point. There's and substance to it. Yeah. And whenever we, whenever we get together, whether, whether it's, you know, like we are at the moment on, on zoom or whether we're meeting in person, we have, a we still have a lot to talk about and, you know, I have, I have that as well with with um with Josie my girlfriend where we we almost well we never text um but when we meet up you know we've got we've got so much more to say it's it's so much more authentic and as well 100%. when he when he talks when Cal Newport mentions it is I think people have an apprehension where you get a text and because we're you know well uh, when we were growing up you know with MSN and stuff it was if you remember that hmm. it was um throwback yeah from throwback it was uh you know it, it's it's known as instant messaging right um so you expect an instant reply but people don't actually i think if you it, I'm, I'm sure if you if you sent me a text and you know whenever i send you a text i don't expect a reply straight away i just expect to reply at some point if i answer if i ask a question or if you know it warrants a reply um so yeah, you know, deep deep work, fantastic book book for um, regimenting how you work, but not just to work better, but to get better results out of the work that you do. Um, and so you, you know, as as I mentioned, I'll be I'll I'll be using those techniques for for when I'm when I'm studying my my CFA and you know coupling that with with digital minimalism. But if you read one book this year um or at all it it really it really should be deep work and i and i say that over the wealth of nations well i was gonna say actually and i was just thinking that that is they are our, our two by well the old and the new testament uh, <laughs> to the modern capitalist it, my yeah. my sort of final take home from the book though is and it sounds kind of counterintuitive it's being conscious of the unconscious most of what goes on in one's brain is in the subconscious and whilst you can't control your subconscious you can control the conditions that influence it i.e turning your phone off digital digital minimalism i did a a thing for the first time it was about two years ago digital detox so oh yeah i did a thing um and you know i go i go hiking or dartmoor every august bank holiday and Mm -hmm. for the whole three days we were away hiking i didn't use my phone and a, I was there with great company in great weather, but it was so lovely to just sit and appreciate what was going on and look at the scenery. And when you go to a little country pub, enjoy what you're eating and mm-hmm. think about what you're drinking and the company that you're keeping rather than wondering about what the hell's going on in the world or how your investments are doing that day. Mm. And I, Yeah, and I think as well when you're... So I see this when I'm travelling on the Tube... Um, you know, I'll, I'll sit there if if I'm so when I'm going to work, I will be reading a book. But that's because you know I'm I'm I've just woken up and I'm a bit more fresh. Um, but when I'm coming back home, I won't be reading. Just I just know that my mind isn't going to be fully in it. Um, so I I will I will just sit there. 
Um, and it, I see, I, I, I quite like counting the number of people that I see just on their phone. Mm. And it's, you, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to sound like a, you know, like a, like a, like a bit of a technophobe or whatever. It's like, oh, those people on their phones again. But, but it, 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 it chimes true is, you know, it, it is limiting your attention. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, using your phone is using your phone is bad. There are, there are certain merits to it. And, you know, I, I, st- sure. I still use, I still use Instagram and, you know, that sort of stuff, but I, I use it sparingly. I use it, I use it appropriately. I don't use it as a vice. It's really interesting that you say that because I was traveling home today on the Jubilee line and I was sat yes. listening to music and there was a, a girl on the other side from me who was reading a book mm. and every sort of two or three minutes she start giggling yeah. and she was totally, totally engrossed in this yeah. book. It made me smile because it was an absolute stranger who was being made so happy by this book and I and I, we both like to read and it mm. makes me happy when other people are reading as opposed to listening to podcasts or other things like that um and i just and you saying that made me think god she's you know that's that's deep work that's having a genuine engaging experience rather than doing nine things at once yeah. but i i will read i'm i've just clicked on to it's not just a recommendation for you so many people have recommended it to me the intelligent investor by benjamin graham absolute yeah. stalwart the other bible if the, well, I was going to say, it's like the Middle Testament, isn't it? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's pretty dated now, but there are fundamentally sound pieces of advice in there. Yeah, as you say, the, the fundamentals are there, but it, yeah, it's slightly outdated. Um, I'm currently reading, um, and you know, before we jumped on and again hit record, we um, I was talking about my another one of my Excel spreadsheets where I, I track my um, my reading progress for the for you know every year. And uh, the, the the one that I'm currently reading at the moment is it's sort of more of sort of a philosophical philosophical um, book. It's uh, one of Franz Kafka's books. Um, the Trial is what I'm reading, which um, actually was mm. a recommendation by by Josie. She's she's quite into into Kafka, but yeah, it's it's it, reading is not it, it's not just good for getting different perspectives or you know enhancing either enhancing or acquiring more knowledge um it's great for you know training your brain yeah do you know what i think is really important about reading is the fact that it leaves a lot up to you you have to fill in the blanks and do the work and i think that's why it's more important than watching tv and i've just mm. you mentioning that you've got an it's passive got versus a, um, active isn't it yeah, absolutely. I've got an Apple Notes where I keep track of um, my reading. And do you know what? I, I'd read eight books within the first eight weeks of this year and totally tailed off in the summer. So I'm up to four, 14, including deep work. Um, but I'm just looking back. I mean, a lot of them are autobiographies. There's only, it's actually, there's only two novels in here. One of them is the P.G. Woodhouse and the other's one by distant cousin of mine but um look at looking at my my um <laughs> my my personal reading so i've got one two i've got nine nine books including the one that i'm i'm currently reading that does include intelligent investor which did take me quite a while that was 
well 103 days across um 15 separate sessions so that, yeah that's it's an 18 hour book. audiobook yes yeah, it's, it's a um it's big um but you know piggybacking off of that um you know for the final time this year and indeed this this season uh david what is your pearl of smithsonian wisdom today yeah absolutely back to the old testament uh and it's a really really quick one it's every man lives by exchanging really really important you think about it it's kind of a jordan belfort quote but everything in life is a sale you even if you don't realize it every tiny little conversation you have in a shop or with a co-worker or buying a a twix is an exchange there are a few better exchanges, in fact. We are doing something slightly different, though, this episode. And it's something we've been aiming to do, actually, for the entire time that we've been running the Planet Optimist podcast. And it's profile a particular company. Um, but one of, one of the things that we really wanted to do, uh, you know, from the, from the very beginning was uh, discuss BrewDog, which, you know, is a company that is incredibly, um, incredibly, you know, important to me personally. Is that, it's actually quite humbling for me, uh, to be honest with you. I'm 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 very excited to to dive into it and also you know talk about their environmental credentials. Not not focus so much on their you know the overarching ESG. Uh, you know we've got a, a podcast, a, an episode on ESG investing. We're, we're not going to be talking about so much the social and the government governance because that's not really too much of our ballpark and. I think it's fair to say that Brewdog have had their fair share of controversies over the past, well, I suppose year, year and a half, um, surrounding that. But you know, their their environmental um, initiatives are very inspiring, um, and I think you know it, that is the the pragmatism, the the optimism that we that we strive for on the planet optimist, and it's I think it's a very nice it's a very nice bookend. Uh, for our first season, I think it is. But you know, in um, in in 2016, um, Brewdog, well, James Watt announced on Twitter uh, that they were f- officially the world's first carbon negative beer business. Um, you know, but David, what does this exactly mean? Because I suppose it can be, it can be open to interpretation. But there's a clear definition, isn't there? There is. Uh, it's a fairly simple concept as well. It means that Brewdog now take more carbon out of the atmosphere than their worldwide operations generate. It doesn't mean, however, that Brewdog doesn't emit any carbon, which I guess is what you mean by being open to interpretation. There's So there's a difference between producing, in Brewdog's case, roughly 70,000 tonnes of CO2 and then capturing you know X tonnes where x is any value greater than seventy thousand, um and not producing any co2 um what do you have to do p- to become carbon neutral i mean take out more co2 than you produce but how well the first is to measure how much carbon you actually produce but that is not always an easy task um, and that's the case with brewdog because as a company you are almost never acting alone you have to find out exactly how much carbon you are using, and that means working out how much your suppliers and their suppliers and their suppliers are using. And this is known as scope three, or assessing indirect sources. So scope one would be the direct impact. Well, scope two is anything power-related, energy-related. Yeah, and that makes sense. Um, you can't say you're carbon negative if you're using a supplier that creates an excess, you know, 150,000 tonnes of CO2. That's 
not going to offset your 70,000. That's that's maths. Um, but want to guess what percentage of most companies' emissions stem from their up and downstream uh, value chain, i.e., you know, not their own production? I would say, I don't know, 85%. 80? 80. 80%. Which, oh, that is a good fantastic guess. guess. I... I, I don't know why I would have guessed, but I don't I don't think I would have guessed 80. That's why on my LinkedIn it says sustainability professional, because I can make those guesses. But BrewDog themselves admitted that, you know, this was an incredibly challenging task. Um, this is also a, a best guess estimate. You know, you're never going to get it exactly right. And, you know, personally, I don't think that is an issue so long as you're in the right ballpark. there's There's no way of finding the exact amount. And I guess that's why overshooting is you know is a really good thing to do when it comes to capturing more carbon because you know you have that that safety net that that fail safe but um so what's what's the next step then so you know you've calculated how much carbon not just your company but you know your entire uh, supply chain your your value chain uh, creates what's what's the next step well the second step is to take action to get on with it now that you know exactly how much or roughly how much co2 you produce it's time to go and offset it and that's the second heavy task right um because i you know businesses use a lot of energy um more so than households certainly uh, which means that they have to switch a lot of their usage to a new process and you know equally not only does it have to be available supply wise but it's also got to be competitively priced so as not to you know, put a strain on the company's cash flow. Let's not forget that while we love to see businesses championing the environmental cause, businesses can have many other positive impacts on society as a whole through their actions. Uh, and their first priority fundamentally should be to generate profit to continue to provide the goods that provide employment and all the other benefits that come with that. Once you're in a stable position, then you can look at the green initiatives. Yeah, we like seeing green businesses. Uh, we don't like seeing businesses in the red, right? You're beginning to sound like a politician with your sound bites, Daniel. You may very well think that, David. I couldn't possibly comment. But all joking aside, uh, you're completely right. There's no use a good business ruining its financial position, uh, which helps no one uh, to become a bit greener. As you say, we, we have to remain pragmatic. Interestingly, uh, do you know what form of energy Brewdog switch to as their main energy source well they're a scottish company and uh, saying this with a great fondness and affection for scotland there's not a lot of sun in scotland whiskey there is a lot of whiskey there surely um surely wind power you are correct um according to their sustainability report uh, which you can find in the show documents uh they they switch to wind energy uh quote all of the electricity used to brew brew dog beer in the UK, comes directly from local wind turbines. Never have we appreciated the Scottish weather more. Our bars are also <laughs> now powered by wind turbines too. Yeah, as I said, it is very, very windy north of the border. Indeed. Um, though you're you're studying your MBA at Harriet Watt, uh, it's quite ironic that the co-founder of BrewDog is James Watt. Okay, so we're halfway through becoming green. Um, how do you fully become green we're 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 currently um what's what's a light green color teal lime blue okay yeah we're we're, we're lime at the moment how do we how do we become fresh meadow grass well to be fair okay i think this is probably more your ballpark because 
it's recycling and repurposing waste. Um, talk to me about brewing waste. I'd love to. I, I brew my own beer and I have been for the past two years, a little bit of a, a lockdown hobby that I took on fairly um, ambitiously. Um, I'm actually on my 18th brew um, and my next one is going to be a very exciting one. Uh, it's going to be a collaboration with a university friend. And if you're listening, Matt, hello. Uh, more on that in a few months time. Um, oh, well, January, I suppose I could probably talk about it. But OK, so waste in brewing. Um, well, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, quite a bit of it is actually relatively easy to offset. Uh, I was speaking as a home brewer. Um, it goes back to the circular economy, which we discussed in a previous episode. Uh, but for instance, you use grain to extract the sugar for the yeast to convert into alcohol, um, as well as you know get a bit of malt flavor for the beer, depending on the style. But we won't get into that. Um, but instead of tossing the grain away, uh, you know, give it to a farmer instead. For instance, and there there are a number of of breweries that you know, do this sort of thing. And there are also a number of breweries that will um, that will take waste products and brew their own beer with it. So Toast is a uh, is an example of that. I know in 2021 they were in the supermarkets, but I'm not sure if they are now. But they, they used to take um, waste waste bread and they used to use that to, to brew their beer. And, you know, Brewdog themselves do that with uh, with lost lager which is one of their one of their core products and we'll probably get onto that in a in a, a bit later but you could even use um an anaerobic digester uh, to turn the wastewater and trust me there is a lot of wastewater in brewing uh, i won't go into how much uh, i use because my mother listens to this podcast and i don't want my rent going up <laughs> um but this is what brewdog does charges you rent they wish uh, although bezos pays me rent because I have a few REITs in my portfolio. Uh, but Brewdog use anaerobic digestion to turn wastewater into clean water um, and energy. Uh, so win-win, really. Uh, you can also use CO2, a byproduct of fermentation, uh, to na- naturally carbonate the drinks. I don't do this directly, as I don't capture the CO2 from my brewing, but I do re-ferment in the bottles rather than actually using CO2 canisters or, or kegging, kegging, which is very common in industrial uh, brewing but sticking with water for a little um it apparently takes around 10 pints of water in industrial brewing uh, to make one pint of beer however there is a company called small beer who uh, based in the uk who specialize in low and no alcohol beer uh, so i think their highest uh, alcohol by volume beer is about 2.3 percent if i remember correctly um, and they only use one and a half uh, pints to create one pint uh, for a few technical reasons that I won't bore you with, but I found that pretty interesting. So that's step three. Uh, what's the what's the next step? Carbon capture. I suppose this is where the controversy lies with Brewdog. A little bit, yeah. Be- before we get into it, we'll explain one of the ways that Brewdog are capturing carbon, and that is through their Lost Forest. Daniel, why is it called the Lost Forest? And possibly because it's nowhere to be seen. Uh, which, as as you say, uh, we will get into, um, and this is more of a, of a joke than a dig at Brewdog because a lot of the headlines and coverage around this has been negative for the company, and it's been going on for about a year, year and a half or so. Uh, but it's called the Lost Forest because you know the capture initiative stemmed from, like, as I said, I think early twenty twenty one, where Brewdog gave away a free 
four pack of Lost Lager, uh, which is the uh, which is the skew that I mentioned earlier. Um, and they would plant a tree in the Lost Forest for every pack claimed. Uh, this might not be the start of the initiative, but it's certainly the first that I remember. Um, although I did get a pack. Um, I know that the waiting list to get onto the website was massive, though. Um, I think I got on pretty early, thankfully. But yeah, I guess, I guess that's why it's called The Lost Forest. Well, I remember you sending me the link and sitting there on my computer waiting for it and then having to go into a meeting and coming back and found that I'd gone from 300th in the queue to 29,000th. And this happened three times in one day. So I never got my pack. I was able to get two. <laughs> you lucky thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a good, it was a good January. So the Lost Forest, though, uh, it's an area in Scotland. You know, Scottish Highlands, yep. Completely barren? Completely barren um, at the moment, as the company had to wait, uh, had to await planning permission from the Scottish government. We may love the free market, but there are unfortunately some regulatory burdens. Uh, and we all know from our science classes that trees, well, plants in general, take in CO2 and give out oxygen. So is this how they're capturing that CO2? Yep, plain and simple. So the controversy stems from where? Twofold. Uh, and I think we should tackle the most pressing one first, uh, which is the headlines, which are the headlines claiming that Brewdog misled the public about it. Uh, there was a pretty scathing documentary by the BBC on the company. It touched upon all aspects of the ESG aspect um, of the company, particularly claims about a toxic work culture. And, you know, I'll say this, um, I am neither saying I agree or disagree with the BBC's documentary. And I mentioned this earlier, we won't, we're not going to be touching on, well, I suppose that on the SG aspect of the company, um, we're going to be focusing on the E. Um, but this is just what the report said and, you know, what Brewdog themselves said. Uh, you can read through multiple press releases through from Brewdog or indeed James Watt himself um, to get a bit more perspective on on both sides of the argument. But the, the documentary was, I suppose, interesting isn't the, the right word to use, but it was uh, eye-opening is, is probably the right one. Um, but Brewdog originally stated that the size of the lost forest was going to be 50 squares 50 square kilometers uh, though it appears to be closer to 37 in reality i have no clue how big 50 square kilometers is so i did a little bit of google foo um it didn't really help me because i have no understanding of any of the references but this is what i found uh, so 50 square kilometers is about 30 percent the size of washington dc three and a half times the size of lax half the size of disney world um in america um, and four times as large as London Heathrow, which, to be fair, I have been to quite a few times. <laughs> Gosh, you, wait until you find Google Earth. You'll be absolutely beside yourself. Um, I, I should actually add, though, he addressed... Wait, I say he addresses... He goes through the entire story of Brewdog, James Watt, on uh, Stephen Bartlett's... Stephen Bartlett's... Yeah, the Diary of a CEO. It's about an hour and a half episode. We'll include a link to that episode. Very, very interesting and informative. But um, it is it's pretty big then, isn't it? This this lost forest. Yeah, a lot of trees. Um, thirty-seven square kilometers makes it, and you know, I say this using air quotes, only about three times as big as London Heathrow. So you know, a lot of trees still. Um, but the idea is 
Well, the aim is that it would sequester 550,000 tonnes of CO2 in total, according to one source, though the extent of this is debatable, and I believe it has been revised down to close to about 1 million over the next 100 years, which, to be fair, is still a lot. I think I read somewhere that it's not simply that they don't have the approvals. They they didn't have the approval before they started promoting this, and the BBC criticised them fairly harshly for it. James Watt's LinkedIn page... Uh, which I follow, is a good source to hear it from the horse's mouth. Um, but you will also see from there that the tree planting has indeed begun. Yeah, and I will be honest, uh, I didn't really get much of the attacks from either side, You know, as in Brewdog versus BBC about the Lost Forest. Uh, uh, but the other controversy lies more on the animal welfare side of things, as Brewdog apparently um, acquired a license to mass cull deer in order to complete the Lost Forest, in order to, quote-unquote, manage the loss of forage and shelter mm, this is that's a tough one actually do you think that controversy is justified well you, again you're asking a ppe student um sort of a fairly philosophical question so i'm going to give you a fairly philosophical philosophical answer and say that there is perhaps no real concrete answer um you know are you familiar with the trolley problem i'm not so it's it's I was going to say it's fairly morbid. It's incredibly morbid, but it's um, there's a trolley going down some tracks, um, well, like a, a train going down some tracks, and there are some people um, tied to the railway tracks. But it splits off, you know, a bit like um, the Met Line oh. as you go from Harrow on the Hill. Yes, yeah, I know that. Yeah, so I didn't know that was the name for it. Right, that's that's the name of it. Yeah, and you can either pull the lever um, to kill fewer people um or you can leave it and not do anything but it kills more people um and i think that's sort of the case here that there's you know the animal welfare side of it there's no real i think there's a, there's a lot that goes into it um you know of, of course creating the the, the lost forest is going to enhance biodiversity immensely but you know killing these 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 deer and anything else that, that goes into the building of it is of course incredibly not incredibly upsetting and 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 very bad, but um, I think it's a, it's a very difficult thing to answer and and one that I'm I'm not really too sure I'm too sure about. I w- I wish that there was a there was a way to um do it in the most humane way possible, but we'll 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 have to see how things turn out. And you know, as we as we keep saying on the podcast, um, if you don't like it, then vote. Sorry, vote with your money. Um, mm. But focusing purely on the land ownership and you know possible false or, or misleading advertising, not that I'm saying that it was. Um, you know, you, you could say no um, on on that basis only. Uh, you almost expect Brewdog to be quite edgy um, and to upset a few people about their methods. And again, I I I really I really want to reiterate. I, I am only talking about. The advertising campaigns. I'm, I'm. I've moved off of the animal welfare uh, side of things now. Um, and you know, while they've reined in their "quote unquote" punk image, um, in my opinion, although the anti World Cup campaign was rather punk, uh, it's good to see them doing something about climate change. Uh, they're a company with a large following. Love them or hate them, you know about them, and you have almost certainly had one of their beers at some point, provided you drink beer. You know, David. Um, Dead Pony Club was actually the beer that got me into 
craft beer in the first place all the way back in 2015 and it still remains one of my favorite session ipas even now um and i think i may have bought you a few pints over over the years um we certainly had it on your stag do in brewdog waterloo i was gonna say it was one of the places that we visited on my stag do the new to call it a, probably call it a flagship site in uh, waterloo station south of the river in london i think brewdog gets an unfair rap they are absolutely the the, the flag flyer for, for the craft beer world they were the first craft brewer in the uk to make it really really big and yeah people make mistakes when they start companies and i think it's probably fairest to like you said uh, hear it from the horse's mouth and, and actually see what james watt's got to say for himself i i actually think on that podcast he justifies himself pretty well it is hard selling a company particularly one that explodes in popularity um whilst maintaining the reins you know he didn't hand um control over a ceo to let's say a more experienced uh people manager he has been running that company for the last is it 15 years is it 2007 they started um fundamentally what are they here to do they're here to make beer they do that fantastically well i think all in all they're probably my favorite brewery and sat here in my kitchen look at my drinks cabinet and there is brew dog in that drinks cabinet um i mean also, i believe you you prefer blue acorn brewery but yeah they're brew dog are a close second i will do they're very exclusive though <laughs> fundamentally they make great beer they're also conscious of the impact they're having on the world and regardless of how many trees they've actually planted they remain carbon negative so i think the, the bbc really did a hatchet job on that documentary and i mean I, james watt has or is in the process of um i'm not sure if suing is the right word but he's certainly taking legal action against the bbc so i think that's not something that you do lightly if you um if you know or feel that you're in the wrong so you know certainly i i think i i speak for you david and you know tell me if i'm not but I don't think that we can say either way what the correct way to approach this is or, you know, how to view this is. We've, we've really got to see how this plays out. But, you know, as I said in the intro, um, BrewDog is a is a company that means, to be fair, quite a lot to me. Um, so I, I'm very happy to see them on the surface doing the right thing. And I hope that they are doing the right thing and that they continue to do the right thing um be it not just environmentally um but you know as a business as a whole because they as you say they they have exploded um since 2007 there are some craft breweries that do have you know a fairly substantial standing within not just the craft beer scene but you know talking specifically the, the the british beer consumption scene but you know british beer consumption you know you, you can go into tesco and you can buy a couple of cans of vacation a fantastic brewery but yeah. brewdog have been the one that this i mean they, they they're the ones that pretty much championed the the craft beer cause so it's it's very good to see them um championing this um championing you know the environmental cause and you see other breweries that are 
you know chasing b core status um you have jubal which are the the brewery that will cut some of their beers with um i think their mo most famous one is the jubal with peach which you know some people don't like uh but i i think is a perfectly fine beer um you could put i don't know where you can pick it up but i know i know you can get it in sainsbury's i'm not sure if it's available in other places you get it in waitrose yeah it sounds about right yeah and i think toast as well actually um sainsbury's possibly tesco's but um co-op as well so tell toast yeah um you should you should return back to waitrose instead of mns but that's another conversation well actually i was gonna say because i i've got a really sort of uh conflicted loyalty because yesterday i went to waitrose but today i went to mns so i really don't know where i stand waitrose all the way I hope that goes some way into explaining who Brewdog are. They have been over the last 15 years the flag flyer for craft brewery in the UK. Daniel and I have bequeathed many thousands of pounds over the last few years. We are fundamentally customers of Brewdog. We're very, very loyal customers. It means that the brand and their beers mean a lot to each of us. Um, but also we are investors on personal level and we are to a degree cynical. I think there's always a healthy level of, of cynicism um, when that cynicism becomes blind and automatic. That's when you start to get into murky territory. But please do go and listen to James Watt himself discussing how he built the brand and the myriad facets to creating a B Core uh, and the pitfalls of, of trying to be carbon neutral. Fundamentally, they've built a really, really strong brand it's looking after the environment and there are thousands of very, very happy customers and, and fundamentally a lot of happy employees as well. They, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is it 50% of the profits of each brew dog pub go to the employees? Is that the figure? It's, yes. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not too sure of the ins and outs, but that's the headline. Yes. Um, mm. But uh, yeah. Yeah, is it? Yeah, um, you you you'll be able to find it online. But there was sort of a fairly heavy promotion was it about two three months ago. Um, it was when they opened Waterloo, wasn't there? Yes, and indeed, um, James, if you wish to discuss with us, we would love to have you on the podcast. I'm glad you said that because I was going to say exactly the same thing. And to finish off the series, okay, if you could recommend a brew dog beer to the listeners, what are they drinking? Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to split this into two. Um, so, because, of course, you have there. Oh, wow. Well, you know what I'm going to say, so just don't say that one. You're going to say Hazy Jane, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split mine by core and non-core. So core... Um, which, you know, all the ready, readily available sort of stuff that you can find, supermarkets and all their bars and stuff. I I, I would have to go with, with Dead Pony Club. Um, it's a fantastic, it, it's got such a per perfect balance of, you know, of a fantastic multi sort of ready, ever so slightly digestive and brioche um, backbone. Um, but balancing that with, fantastically with the with the floral nature of of those of those american hops that they use in the beer and because it's such a low low strength you it really it really does shine through but it's i think it's off the top of my head i think it's about three and a half percent uh, sorry 3.7 3.7 percent um so to be able to get a beer that low but that balanced is is incredible 
Um, so I think that I think that would have to be mine. Um, whereas, ooh, non-core. I mean, you can't get it anymore, um, which is incredibly annoying. But Pumpkin King, uh, which was I think it was about I think that was twenty fifteen. Um, they were selling that. That was a fantastic beer. Um, and I sort of I tried to re recreate my own uh, sort of pumpkin ale beer last year. Um, but that was that was fantastic. But in terms of non-core that's readily available, 5 a.m. same. A special thank you as well to Kartik Varma, the founder of the Planet Optimist. He began our little movement just about 18 months ago now when he was studying for his MBA. And it really has picked up some traction. We have a very engaged and enthusiastic little group of supporters and advocates. So uh, kudos and thank you again, Kartik. And... Once again, a big thank you to everyone that continues to engage uh, and listen and spread the good word. You're all entrepreneurs. You're all people in business. You're all individuals out there who aren't blind cynics. You're out there actually creating wealth, creating value for the businesses that you own or represent. And fundamentally, the people that listen to the Planet Optimist are the ones who are going to be changing the world over the next couple of decades so keep spreading the good word and we will speak to you in 2023 for sure and just to back off of that and um to give my to give my final thank you and you know of course thank you to to Kartik for not only bringing yourself david on onto this but um you know for you david to bring me onto this and for Kartik to um graciously accept my uh input on the podcast as well i'm I, you know very much appreciate it and i've, I've very um very much appreciated getting to know Kartik as well um, over our conversations, you know, when we're planning our podcasts and such. But um, it sort of, it really goes to what you were saying, David, about, you know, these are, this is, this is how we, how we create change, how, how we get the message out. It's um, sort of a little bit of a, a personal philosophy of mine of, you know, on democracy. It's, it's when I hear people saying that uh, this, does come to a head um people saying oh you know there's no point in voting because you know what's my vote against millions of others well what if millions of others say well what's the point of voting you know the the results are catastrophic well not catastrophically but you know significantly could be significantly different um if everyone had that mindset so it's it's really you doing your own part and others contributing to that really is how we're able to drive change, how we're able to um, advance the the green agenda, the you know drive for sustainability and, and and pragmatism, and I think that's something that we really need to to remember. It's um, I highly recommend anyone who's sort of interested in this, this sort of perspective to read up on uh, Sir Wright's paradox, which is um, well, I won't I won't get into it, but it's everyone's got to do their own part. Um, and that's how that's really how you drive, you know, the change for sustainability, the um, the message, and continue what you what you're doing. And um, I'm looking forward to discussing with you all in in 2023. I look forward to it. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.